KG, and this is not safe for networks. Montuggy Skies, I'm Biggs. And I'm Brandon. How's it going, Brandon? I'm still on vacation for a couple of hours, so. So, living the dream? (laughs) (laughs) Sort of. (laughs) Well, let's hop into it. So, um, the first thing I was going to say is I was going to review the the, uh, revival of Roseanne, but as soon as I went to like watch it i saw an article that like trump called roseanne to congratulate her and it killed it for me i'm not gonna lie dude (laughs) like the fact that he called up to like congratulate her made me not want to watch the show and i'm gonna try and get over that and review it next week but i don't know if i'm gonna be able to jump over this bar like i was fine with you know, the idea of her being a Trump supporter and like watching how families deal with that, but uh, I can't do it. <laughs> <coughs> I couldn't do it today anyway. You know, I saw a review online uh, and I think it was in uh, Washington Post or New York Times. I can't remember. And it was a opinion and it was saying uh, Roseanne re- reboot really good, but I'm never watching it again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. And I the the headline alone is like I don't even want to read the re- review on this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll probably swallow it and review it next week. So I guess you can look forward to that next week. But I, my wife and I have definitely watched some Roseanne reruns during the course of our marriage. So. It's not out of the question. I'm going to watch it with her and I'll probably bite the bullet and take it. But I, you know, it's funny. I haven't watched any like the anything since it's been on live. So it it would be interesting, like rewatching that as an adult. Roseanne. Yeah. Uh, it still works to me anyway. Um, the last season is super wonky and bad. Yeah. And that was. I mean that was true when I was a kid. It was not good. I had I I had never seen any of the last season until actually after I got married when my wife was watching reruns. I had heard that they won the lottery and I hadn't really heard about the finale until I watched it. And then since then I've seen like stuff where people are looking back at it like what was with that finale <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> but um I just uh, I, I will say, like, at least the older episodes, like, they really stand up because it is, it is like a middle class show in a time yeah. when there wasn't. That's the thing about Roseanne was it was a middle class show when middle class shows didn't really exist. Like, that's kind of started it. Like, most sitcoms were usually people who were rich. And, like, at first I thought it, I had always thought it was, um, looking back at it, like, kind of wish fulfillment you know like oh you're a doctor a lawyer and step into those shoes and laugh 
and enjoy it and forget about your life. But then I started to realize later that most of the people on the writing staff are like Yale educated and Harvard educated. And look, that they put out some funny stuff too. Like, um, for example, Tina Fey is, I think she went to Harvard. Yeah. Like she was on the Harvard Lampoon for a while. She went to, I think she's in the graduating class Conan O'Brien was, and they had done stuff together. And, um, so, but they bring, they bring their perspective and their biases to it. You know, like even Kimmy Schmidt, which is, there's like one rich character and the other three aren't, but even their apartment and all that kind of stuff from my understanding of living in New York in an apartment isn't very accurate for what it's like to live in an apartment, you know, like they do a lot of things that, um, normal people just can't afford to do. And I think it's just because they don't have the perspective because to go to Harvard or Yale, you have to have money. Like you're not getting a scholarship that's off the table. So like right away, there's just a disconnect with the writing and Roseanne actually was brought up middle class, you know, so she was bringing her own perspective to a show at a time that wasn't happening. But that's what makes this hard to watch is because I feel like that goes out the window a little bit when you're backing Trump. And I know that there's middle class people that back Trump, especially in red states like our own state, Montana. But um, it's just it's a it's a bitter pill to swallow for me, I guess. Yeah. I was never like a huge Roseanne Barr fan, but I did like the show. Yeah, and I I mean I really liked uh Dan on yeah. that show. Like I always connected with his character pretty well. Like even when I was I mean shit I was less than teenage. Yeah, I remember they had a couple I don't think it was even one episode, it was like a couple of episodes where um she was pregnant. And they had a couple episodes where they were figuring out what what are we going to do, not just like financially, but like, are we going to have an abortion? And that was like unheard of at the time to have that on a sitcom, you know, like have that even be an option um, for like what the 90s, like having that in a sitcom like that, that was pretty groundbreaking. And so I guess that's what makes it disappointing to knowing where her politics lie now that she she uh made sure to tell those stories but now she's in that camp it's really frustrating but anyway maybe we should move on so (laughs) uh helen montana made the national headlines oh was this the daily show the daily i tried to click on the link and uh it made me it was telling me i had to have you know, the code for Comedy Central or whatever. Oh, there's lots of different links out there. Yeah, so I was like, fuck that. And I meant to, like, check it out on Hulu, but I haven't gotten around to it. So this was for, like, the the pro-gun rally that they had at the Capitol, right? Like, yeah. a couple blocks from... Literally two blocks from where we are right now. Right. Um, yeah, so on Saturday, they had the the big March for, March for Life um, down in Memorial Park. Which had probably a couple thousand people at it. And then they had like not quite a hundred people at the Capitol with the The March per- Against Life. <laughs> <laughs> the March for Our Guns. <laughs> right. So what'd they do in the in the sketch? So 
Roy Roy Wood Jr. was the correspondent they sent out. So they had like satellite trucks and shit like here at the Capitol. Um, my brother actually, Brent, who's been on the show many times, mm-hmm. um, he went to the the rally at the Memorial Park, and then he did, like so he went to the other one. He went to the other one to just to just out. for perspective, and he's like, "What the hell's all these like national like news vans and shit doing here?" Like, and then uh, so Roy Wood, Wood Jr. He's uh like interviewing people in the crowd, which like found some of the most like ignorant people in Probably Montana. camouflage wearing like aviator like sporting women <laughs> <laughs> okay well they had this one woman on that was like so her her point was like all the people that are the pro the anti-gun rally were uh, crisis sponsor or crisis whatever I can't remember what the term is off the top of my head but that and they so Roy Roy Woody's like so how did Nicholas Cruz know how know to pick out just the school with the crisis actors in it she's like and she just like watching her like thought process just come to a screeching halt <laughs> she's like you just uncovered a conspiracy. <laughs> and I was like, you know, you know, that was actually an honest response yeah. from that person. It's funny because a lot of those interviews, <clears throat> you know that they interviewed a bunch of people to get the funniest takes. Oh, yeah. But I figured they didn't have to interview that many at this rally because a <laughs> well, lot there of weren't, those... A, there weren't that many people there. Right. But it's also, I feel like... This sort of march is so callous to what happened and they have to like build up their belief structure so high to, to deny, you know, basic facts because if they, if they accept those facts and then say, but I still want guns, you know, without any regulation whatsoever, then it's, it's a matter of like, they realize it's a morality thing. So they don't think on that level. They think on the level that like excuses the behavior, right? Like you look, you look for the articles, you look for the little talking points that like feed your point of view. And I'd imagine that's there a plenty in there. And let me be clear, like on, on both sides, I don't want people who are just spouting off rhetoric, whether it's in my end or not. The, the people that I know who I talk to who just start repeating talking points. That's when I like start judoing stuff and like bringing up other things because it's, it's, I, I don't want to just repeat rhetoric all the time, you know? Yeah. And that's what people do all the time is they just take a cue from whoever they see on TV or the internet and they just like repeat what they've heard. And you need to think about things, especially when it's, when it's political issues of any kind, you really need to like step outside and, really think about how you feel about it. It's fine to rethink pieces, but those are those people thinking that shouldn't be the entirety of the conversation. You should be doing some legwork yourself. And uh, I'd imagine there's those people plenty that are just repeating. I mean, the the fact that she probably said crisis actors, right? Yeah. So right away, 
like if you're saying crisis actors, you're just taking a cue from from articles. That's something that's popped up since Sandy Hook, but it's yeah. it's not a real term. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, not a real. It's not. It was not a term that existed before Sandy Hook, and it was a term to to take the pressure off of people who were for no legislation whatsoever to to regulate guns, and so. Yeah, just do some legwork, yeah. people, for fuck's sake. Yeah, the other interesting, inter- or there was two other parts that were pretty interesting. I mean, it's only about a four or five minute segment. Um, he interviewed this one guy who he said, "We need to get arm the students," and then, like mid sentence, the students need to have clear backpacks so you couldn't see guns in there. <laughs> Which, like, the irony, like, was just thick. (laughs) (laughs) And then... uh, And how do you even find... Like, I've seen one clear backpack, I think, my entire life. See, I know, like, uh, if you go to, like, NFL games now, like, you have to have, like, a clear purse. Like, you can't have, like, a regular purse and stuff at NFL games. Uh Uh-huh. So, I, I mean, it's like a... I guess it's a thing now, but I mean, not really here in Montana so much, but I know like big events, that's pretty common. Yeah. Um, they're like, they're like beer. Okay. Gun. Okay. Hold on. Are those knee pads? Are you planning on kneeling during the anthem? Get out of here. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> that's why we have the clear backpacks. Fuckers. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, we've just alienated everybody on the right. It's just, the alienation is complete. Now it's our audience. Go. <laughs> the other part was really great is actually uh, they opened the podium for anybody that wanted to speak. So Roy Wood Jr. actually got up to the podium to address the crowd. <laughs> what do you say? <sighs> God, I wish I could remember that very well. Um the the best line he said because they when like they were organizing it they told everybody to leave their guns at home um, for safety reasons. <laughs> <laughs> Duh. <laughs> well, it's like, do you remember when that uh, <clears throat> when they were they had that petition that was out, which I signed, which was like allow people to bring guns into the Republican National Convention. (laughs) It was like, there's no way that's going to happen. But that's very telling that there's no way that's going to happen. Yeah. Because it just immediately knocks the feet out of the argument that you're better, you're more safe with an armed crowd. Whoa. You uh, open that can of Guinness and the dog just shot across the room. (laughs) It's amazing. And then you open half of it on your pants. <laughs> Just a little foam. Yeah. But um that's it's it knocks the feet out of that argument that uh it's oh, it's it's all it's all good. <laughs> it's poured it over. Man, this is amateur hour. Right Man, it's really bad. You <laughs> can tell I'm on vacation. And you're pouring wrong. It's a Guinness with the with the widget that brings the nitrous out. You're losing all the nitrous, man. No wonder you hate you it. You got to get that can. out of the beer. No, that's the best part. <laughs> you got to get the foam out. <laughs> Not on a Guinness, dude. <laughs> or really any beer. 
No, that's what gives you the heartburn and is all the extra carbon dioxide in there. And the taste. <laughs> yeah, you got to get that stuff out of there. <laughs> yeah, we just need black liquid with alcohol. That's all you really need. Um, so, yeah, if you get a chance, you need to check out that uh, article or that clip online because it's pretty great. Yeah, I'll probably watch it right after we record this but it's one of those things just didn't have time to get to everything that i wanted to before the show but one thing i did have time to get to so i watched barry which is bill Hader's new show on on uh, hbo and it's really good i really enjoyed it so the premise is bill Hader is a hitman and it opens with it just shows this guy who's laying over in bed with the giant bullet hole in his head and he sort of wipes off a few things and walk, walks out of the guy's hotel room. And he heads back and Stephen Root, I think, is his uncle. So Stephen Root, for people who aren't sure, he was Jimmy James in News Radio. He was in Get Out. He was the blind um, art dealer who's, uh, well, I don't want to give that away if people haven't seen Get Out, but he, he plays a bit more of a role in that movie. But uh, he's also in a ton and of he's things. Patches O'Houlihan. Uh, what's that out of? Uh, Dodgeball. Okay. No, no, never mind. That. No. No, not he's not. Rip, that, he's that's that's Rip, Rip Taylor. Torn. Rip Torn. Yeah. Yeah, not Rip Taylor. <laughs> There's no graffiti going up in there. <laughs> no, Rip Torn. I'm sorry. Oh, it's all good. Anyway, Stephen Root's in like a million things, but he he plays um, Bill Hader's uncle, and so. He basically hands him, he's like, oh, let's change things up a bit. And he's trying to lighten it up for him. So he's having him go to L.A. for a hit, but he sends him to Ontario. So he has to, like, drive (laughs) from Ontario to L.A. And so he drives out and he sees his mark, but his mark immediately goes out and goes into this acting class. And so... Bill Hader follows him in and just immediately gets sucked up into it because now there's people everywhere. You can't do the hit. And they pull him onto stage as a scene partner. And I guess that I think I've read that this is a, a common thing that they're going to do in the show is all of their scenes are monologues from movies. <laughs> and so like the guy is supposed to do a hit on is uh, is the guy from True Romance with the cornrows and everything. <laughs> And so they just do this little scene and Bill Hader like looks down at the script and just reads like one line like horribly and everybody in the crowd just starts like applauding. And so it's one of those things like it's you can kind of tell the way it's set up that it's everybody in this acting troupe like supporting (laughs) each other, but he feels the rush of it. And suddenly feels something, you know, like he's been going, he's been depressed, but it seems like he lives a life without emotion and uh, says as much. And Henry Winkler is uh, the the acting teacher who's just like, he seems like a real douche. I mean, like he'll say really horrible things to the students to like get emotion out of them. And then he'll hug them when they're done and say you know, really good job, but he's clearly like uses the stick rather than the carrot with everything, (laughs) you know? And, uh, he's got a, just a book where he's got the douchiest cover where he's got like a kind of a hand up to his chin and it's like really dark and a black and white photo of him, you know? And, uh, I think it's like 
the book's called Just Read Your Lines and Hit Your Mark. Like, it's just <laughs> like the, the douchiest title. That's and, awesome. Yeah. But um, so Bill Hader just immediately decides, I don't want to do this hit. I want to become an actor. And so he shows up, like, he walks out of this. He goes to the bar residuals, which I think we've talked about on the show. I actually wanted to hit this bar when I was in L.A., but I just forgot to find where it's at. But it's a bar where I guess a lot of actors go. And if you have a residual check, like sometimes... So residual checks for people to not know if you're in something and it gets played on TV, you get a residual check. Like you get a little chunk of whatever that TV movie is. So if you're in something like, say, Chips, which is never on the air anymore, but occasionally shows up on clips or whatever, you will occasionally get a check for a penny or something like that. Yeah. So they'll take any residual check and trade it for a drink. So that's where they get the name residuals. And it kind of... It, it kind of enforces that, like, you get a bunch of actors in there. That's my understanding of the bar, anyway. So they're in residuals, and they're having some drinks. And he kind of finds that he likes this guy. and it, He likes all the actors he's with and suddenly feels like he's belonging. So he walks out, and the Chechnyans who hired him for this hit, they see, like, Bill Hader hugging him before he gets in the car. And they're like, <laughs> what the fuck? So the next morning, like... Uh, Bill Hader gets a phone call and like Stephen Root is kind of chewing him out. He's like, they said you hugged him. He's like, what? He goes, I'm coming down. He's like, you don't have to. And he's like, I'm outside your window right now. And he like opens the door and he's like right there. (laughs) And he chews him out. He's basically like, like earlier he's telling him this is the life, you know, like, like we just have to do a couple more of these and then we can get to the point of where you don't have to do this ever again. And he's like, yeah, when is this point? And he sort of like railroads him and ignores him. And now he's like, no, this is the life you've chosen. You can't like being an actor, you're up in front of people and being seen by people. That's the opposite of what you want as a hitman. And so like, it seems like Bill Hader's going through this existential crisis. Like the thing he's really good at is being a hitman, but Acting makes him feel. I think that's what they're getting at so far. It's a half hour show. It's fucking like, like it plays dark comedy perfect because like he's definitely a dark character and like he doesn't react a lot. It's the people around him, you know, that kind of react, but it's just, it's played so perfectly. Like it's a really great pilot. So I'm really looking forward to watching the rest of the show. And I think if it was like 45, 50 minutes, it would probably drag a bit. But because it's like a half hour, it's just like the perfect amount of time to like get in there and get out, you know? Nice. I, I really like it. So, so it kind of sounds similar in tone to the movie Gross Point Blank. I was thinking it would be very similar to it when... um. Like everything I read about it and the commercials I saw for it, it's really not though. Because I think Gross Point Blank, he is a hitman, and I think he's fine with being a hitman. He just doesn't want to play with others, right? Like Dan Aykroyd's trying to unionize, but he's all trying the to get out. And yeah, kind of. He's trying to get out from under Dan Aykroyd's thumb, but yet he doesn't have a problem killing like tons and tons of people in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> And you know he does I mean? kill plenty of people. Yeah. And like, I, if I'm not mistaken, I don't remember there being any resolution at the end where it's like, I'm not going to be a hitman anymore. It's just like, I don't want to join your union. 
I would rather kill all I of feel you like than join he, your. I feel like he. Re- I, I thought he retired because, like, I remember the scene where uh, he does tell a secretary, but like, that it's burns not down, happening. burns down the their office quote. So maybe there and, is a resolution. Yeah, there, they but. burn down the office, and like before, before she like lights the match, she's like, "Open the desk, pull out this secret part," and there was like fifty grand in cash for her, like to retire on or whatever, like mm-hmm. to start a new life, basically. Yeah, but this movie is, um, or like that movie. Like, I don't know that he goes through, like, any revelations in that movie, per se. I think it's just, like, he comes to terms with his past. This is very different. Like, he is he is having an existential crisis. Like, he doesn't know what he wants to do with his life, but he he does know he doesn't want to, to be a hitman. You know, it's just something he fell into after the Afghanistan war, which is where it's similar. The setup is similar to Gross Point Blank, but... It's definitely different. Okay. Um, much in the way that I remember when I first heard about The Sopranos, I was like, well, that sounds like Analyze This, you know? Yeah. <laughs> because it's like a mobster talking to a psychiatrist and you see The Sopranos, you're like, no, this is nothing like Analyze <laughs> This, like not even a little. And I think they even make a joke about Analyze This and The Sopranos, like I think in the second season, because um, in the first season, he tells a psychiatrist, like basically, like, go underground you can't you can't be uh seen because you're associated with me and something's gonna happen like because he he winds up in this gang war with his uncle jr so he's like you have to disappear and so he's trying to like when everything's resolved his psychiatrist is okay to go back out but she doesn't want to treat him for a while and so he tries to go to other psychiatrists to treat him. And like this one guy's like, nah, I don't want to do that. I've seen analyze this. <laughs> <laughs> it's so great. But it's, it's definitely, it, so I would say it's akin to that. It's very much a different tone and uh, they do different things, but yes, the setup is very similar, All right. but it definitely does something different with it. And okay. like, I mean, Bill Hader, man, I, very funny, but like he pulls off the acting part of this too, which I didn't know if he was capable of until I saw it. But like, you know, I've seen a couple of independent films that he's been in. Are you thinking like the Skeleton Twins? Yeah. Or? See, I haven't seen that yet. So, and I so I've seen his more so dr- dramatic side, and he's done pretty well with them. So, yeah. And this was not a shot towards uh, Bill Hader at all. I just haven't seen the work that he's done. But I was very pleasantly surprised at how well he pulls it off. And I guess he directed like eight of the 10 episodes, like he's very much just embroiled into this show. Like he wrote them all. He's the showrunner. He's one of the producers with Alec Berg. Uh, and just, you know, he's, he's <laughs> right in there and it's, it's, it's a feather in his cap for sure. I think this might be the best thing that he's worked oh, on. God, I saw a clip on YouTube the other day. It was a cut for time SNL skit. It was uh, supposed to air on St. Patrick's Day, like, just a couple weeks ago. Was this when Bill Hader hosted? Yeah, a couple weeks ago. Okay. And it was... uh, I've been meaning to watch that episode. Him portraying uh, Liam Neeson, um, wishing everybody a happy St. Patrick's Day, and it's so fucking bizarre. (laughs) It's fucking hilarious, because... He brings out his uh, Buffalo Bill impression part of it. Yeah. (laughs) 
That's great. <laughs> it's fucking hilarious. I uh, I guess so. Here's something I heard Bill Hayden in an interview with Bill Simmons, um, who I also had to bring out a Buffalo Bill impression because he always makes him do his Buffalo Bill impression. But um, he was talking about the like kind of the genesis, of, like whatever idea they had originally for an HBO show didn't work. Like it it took them a while to get production underway, and then when they started to start to pull things together, they realized the idea wouldn't work. And then he came up with this, and he said essentially what it was is Saturday Night Live caused him a lot of stress, and he was really good at it, but he was very unhappy doing it because the live TV thing was too much for him. Like it was just like the idea that it's always being beamed to millions of people, whether he screws up or not, you know, like it really caused him a lot of anxiety and problems in his life, but he was really good at it. And so that's, that yeah, was the and, genesis you know, that's of this one of idea. Those, one of those things, like when you're on SNL, when you're good at it, they throw you a lot more scripts mm -hmm. in the show. So, I mean, you're in it a lot more. Yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of like a, the better you are, the more they're gonna give you. So, you so know, the more stressed, the out more you stressed are. you are. Like the <laughs> well, that and like the more you have to be at all the practices, all the read throughs, all mm -hmm. the writing rooms, like all that kind of stuff. Like, I mean, the more you're in it, the more you have to do with it. So, well, and he was talking about, um, you know, his experiences on Saturday Night Live, and he's saying when he left, like Lauren Michaels was like, maybe give it a year. And uh, just consider whether you really want to quit. So we like held it off for a year and he's like, yeah, I, I really want to go to California. Like I just, I, I can't do this anymore. But Lauren Michaels had an open door and he said, if you ever want to come back and ride or be on the show again, like it's an open door. And he doesn't offer that to everybody. Like yeah. often people just don't get their contracts renewed. So that says a lot about Lauren Michaels faith and, and uh, Bill Hader. But that was the genesis of this idea was he was really good at Saturday Night Live, but it, it kind of destroyed his life yeah. because he couldn't handle the stress. So like you know, this guy is like a great hitman, but he he doesn't want to do it because it's destroying his life. And he sees acting, right? Like which is like the Saturday Night yeah. Live thing. He's getting all like he was writing for he still is writing for South Park. He's been doing that for like eight or nine years now. And uh he just has all these opportunities that aren't SNL that just seem to to him like there would be a greener pasture because it's not in front of a live audience all the time, you know? Yeah. Like you take that stress out of it. So it's kind of interesting how ideas evolve like that from going from like Saturday Night Live to Hitman. You yeah. See what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's an interesting, you but know, it tracks. I, there was another uh, article and it was, I read it, it was probably six months or so ago. And it was uh, an interview with, uh, oh, uh, what is uh, Keenan? Uh, Keenan Ivory Wayne's? No. Um, Are you talking like Keegan Michael Key? No, it was. Uh, you're, you totally like messed me up. Uh, Keenan Ivory Wayne's hope? No. Um, <laughs> He's like the main star on SNL right now. Oh, oh, uh, uh, I know who you're talking about. Yeah. The dude who always does what's up with that. Yeah. Yeah. The, the Keenan and Kel, the, the Keenan. Yes. Which I never actually saw that show, but yeah. anyway, like, um, 
because he's been on it for he's been on it for 10, 12 years now, yeah. which is a long time for a SNL actor. There's only a few actors <laughs> who make it that long. Like writers make it that long. I mean, it happens. Yeah, it happens a lot more frequently. But yeah, acting there's not very many. And so, I mean, he's probably only a few years left on there, and they're gonna have a huge gap when he's gone because he's in eighty percent or more of the skits. I'm trying to think of how many actors on Saturday Night Live who made it like ten seasons. So there's him. Is it Keenan Thompson? Keenan Thompson. That's it. I thought that a couple of times, but I was like. Thompson seems like a generic name. Maybe that's not the one you're thinking of. But okay, so there's like Keenan Thompson. I know Daryl Hammond had like that giant run. I think he went for like 12 years. Yeah. And like the last five years, he just kept thinking that like he was on too long, but he just stayed on. And now he's and on. Now, his, he's, uh, now he's Don the, Pardo's role, basically, yeah. right? Um, and then uh, let's see. I know Bill Hader, I think, made it 10 years. Um, Kirsten Wig had a pretty good run. I don't think she made it that long, though. No. Um, oh, uh, Tim Meadows. Made Tim Meadows, it for yeah, about ten years. Yeah, and what was really great about Tim Meadows was like he had very little parts. Like he was hardly on it for like the first five or six years, but he just like once he got the ladies' man. Like once he developed the ladies' man, it blew up, and then he actually like was on the show really frequently. He just had to spend enough time to like find that sketch that worked, you know? Um, yeah, I can't think of too many others. I mean, I can't think of any others who were on it. That there's a lot of people you think of being on a long time. Yeah. But most of those were like six, seven years. Yeah, Like Will Ferrell felt like he was on it forever, but it was probably like eight seasons. Yeah. Or like Adam Sandler. Nah, Adam Sandler wasn't on that long though. I mean, he was, he was on in like, I think he came on in like 90 or 91 and then just like maybe five or six years. And then his move, like once Billy Madison blew up, that was the beginning of the end of SNL for him. Yeah. Like, I think he was on for like a year or two after that. And then he was gone. Yeah. I can't really think of anybody else. Like definitely nobody from the seventies or eighties had any kind of run like that. But I think media was different then. Like, if you're on SNL and you like you blew up, you just immediately went to movies because there's no respect for TV. I think it's yeah. different now. I think there's way more respect for TV than there is for movies. So, like, people are don't jump ship quite as fast on SNL if they're doing really well. I mean, Jimmy Fallon. I don't think he had ten years, but he was probably like seven or eight years. I too. think he had about seven years on there. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, you saw a movie. Yeah, I did. So, as I noted on the start of the podcast, I've been uh, on vacation. And we went over to Billings, Montana for a couple of days. And they have an IMAX theater there. So I knew IMAX was going to play into this. <laughs> yeah. And it's part of the story here. Um, and so, I like to hit up an IMAX if I'm like, vacationing somewhere that has an IMAX theater because yeah because we don't have we don't one. have that um and plus I had seen like I enjoyed the first Pacific Rim mm-hmm. like it's just a fun movie yeah I think so too um so I thought hell I'll watch the I'll watch the sequel it's got John Boyega and Charlie Day and Charlie Day <laughs> um so we went to the theater and 
go up to the ticket booth, there's like nobody like uh oh in the in the theater. Like it's a big, huge, like twelve, fourteen screen multiplex, like and there was nobody. Like th- there were eight people in the lobby. Three of them were my family, and the other five were people working at the theater. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so this is not shots fired at Pacific Rim Uprising. No, no. Uh, I enjoyed the movie, and I'll get that. I'll get to that, but I just wanted to give you the story behind it. Okay. But it was a Monday night, so I mean, I won't... Not a big movie night. Not a big movie night, especially like, I don't think... Billings was on spring break, so Helena had their spring break, so that's why we were out of town. Yeah, we're still in it right yeah. now. Um, so that's why we were out of town. Um, didn't have much else to do, so we decided to go see the movie there. Um, go up, and the movie, the IMAX starts at 8.05, I think, and we get there about 7.30-ish, and like three tickets to uh, or Pacific Rim Uprising. He's like, oh, that movie started like 30 minutes ago. I was like, so maybe we want the 8 o'clock showing? (laughs) (laughs) He's like, oh, that makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) It's like the guy's right out of like a Kevin James movie or something. Just, oh my God, do you think? (laughs) Wow. So, and he's like, he's like, okay. And he like searches around for like the three buttons that he needs to push, you know, to sell Please tell me this guy's name tag said Brad. I wish I could remember Just the say, name. Let's call him Brad. Check he's out the big brain on Brad. <laughs> <laughs> so we get that and then we like wait around the lobby for a because they were, weren't re- quite ready to start seating the movie yet. And I'm used to going to the theater here where they have, like, the 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 pre-previews that are, like, A, ads and B, like, upcoming TV shows and stuff that, like, and Fathom events and that kind of stuff. Yeah. But they have none of that. It is blank screen until they start previews. Okay. <clears throat> But before that, like, he searches around, he, like, grabs the IMAX glasses. I'm like, sweet, 3D IMAX movie. Nope. (laughs) No, it's not a fucking. Brad lit one up before he came to work. Dude, I think he, like, was going down behind the counter. (sighs) Yeah. Do you want some of this, man? (laughs) Dude, this is good shit, man. Oh, you got your kids. <laughs> they could have like half a hit. That'll do. <laughs> Just don't have them hold it and in. So man. yeah, we so we get in the theater. There's I because we had our three. There was three people in front of us, and I think there was a family of four in the back. So I think there were ten people in the showing. Okay, and of course we had people like right in front of us. Like an entire theater, they had to sit right in front of you. Yeah, uh, isn't that Jesse's pet peeve too? <laughs> yeah, 
And I had seen one other movie. I saw Force Awakens in that theater. Uh huh. And God, we got some shitty seats in that one. It was like way off to the side, like next to the ra- They have like a rail that goes down. And it was like, so like half the screen is blocked by this railing. <sighs> I got perfect seats all four times I went to Force Awakens. Uh, the IMAX one was the best because I went in Disneyland uh, at the downtown Disney, the IMAX there. And I was the only one in the showing. So I just got dead center. <laughs> it was great. It was the first time I'd actually had yeah, that then- thing where you had to pick your seats ahead of time. I didn't understand it and I picked the wrong seat. And then I was like, oh, that's how this works. And then I just went to the seat I wanted because who's going to fucking drop the dime on me, dude? Right. <laughs> Yeah, um, and I think Billings has, like, some of the worst, like, movie attendees. Like, the people in front of us, like, talk through half of the movie. Opening cans of sardines. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wasn't that Slurping bad? Slurping them down. <laughs> just, just see him, like, dropping it like it's fucking grapes and he's being fed it. <laughs> Practice loading their pistol during the, <laughs> the quiet moments of the movie. <sighs> yeah, the, I don't think that safety's on. <laughs> no, it's on. <laughs> yeah, when I saw Forest Awakens, I had this guy behind me like kick my seat the entire fucking movie. Ugh. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, so we watched the movie. The movie was pretty good. It wasn't as good as the first one. Yeah, I mean, it had maybe a third of the budget of the first one, too. Yeah, That kind of showed on the trailers, too, I noticed. Not that I really cared, because I knew the deal. But, um, yeah, it's that you can tell, like, the CGI is not up to snuff with the first yeah, one. Yeah, and I think, because I know um, Guillermo del Toro had a big part in the first one, and I think he just was a partial producer on this one yeah he he had made the realization that they could do a sequel for a lot cheaper and uh and so he went for it but then they wanted half the budget that he was suggesting because so this is one of those things when you talk about franchises for like heavy cgi movies is they already have the models built for the computer right so like that's like half the cost right there. So his idea was like, it'll look the same as the first one, but it'll be half the budget because we already have these models into the computer. And then they were like, no, we're thinking like less than that. And so he just threw up his fingers and he still makes money off of it because he produced it. But yeah, he, he basically just handed it off to somebody else. But I think he had like a hand in writing the script. So, yeah. Um, and it was like John Boyega did a great job. Like he's fun to watch. Yeah. Um I really liked his character. They did a really interesting thing with Charlie Day's character, and I won't give that away because it's integral to the plot. Does it get Charlie work? <laughs> <laughs> sort of. <laughs> He basically like got Charlie you, work in the first when one. You he first, had to like, like, fry his brain, essentially. It was kind of like him choosing to do Charlie work. Right. Which is what Charlie does anyway. Which is what Charlie does best. They tell him what Charlie work is, but he's already on top of it. Because he's been huffing fumes all day. Drinking paint. 
Oh, bless you, Charlie Day. Yeah, that reminds me. Um, I've watched a bunch of episodes of AP Bio. Yeah. Um, I'm going to tease that for next week, and we'll talk about it next week. Maybe you can get a couple in by next week. Do you have Hulu yet? No? Yes, I do. Oh, you do? Okay. No. No. <laughs> gotcha. Yes, I do. <laughs> gotcha. But you'll you'll catch up on some kind of app. Anyway. <laughs> uh, the NBC app. Yeah, maybe, maybe you can catch up by next week, but... Um, I, I'm a couple episodes back from where they're at. So I'm thinking I'll watch those and then talk about it. Cause I'll get a pretty good, pretty good run of the show by that point to see where it's at. So I'll, I'll hold my thoughts. But if I remember, we'll talk about AP bio next week. Anyway. Um, but I know my wife hadn't seen any of the Pacific Rim. So she's like, has no idea what the fuck is going on. Not do you truly, really need to know? <laughs> but I mean, it's, j- the and they do a pretty good job of like having recap, robots fight re- monsters recapping what happened in the first one so like you really don't need to know yeah i mean i i'd imagine you don't really need to know anyway no like, at the end of the day it's still robots fighting monsters sort of okay and it's not robots so it's giant robots, but it's not the, the kaiju brains that were still around like develop their own uh Jaegers. Really? Yeah. So the ones that are left on Earth? Yeah. Wow. So I mean it's kind of interesting. Like it it's like I was enjoyed like watching it. I I won't really like knock it other than like some of like the fight scenes get a little bit like, what the fuck am I like? Who do I root for in this like metal mashing? <laughs> I'm thing? not sure which robot I'm backing anymore. <laughs> right? Oh, there's John Boyega screaming. That's bad. <laughs> which robot just got hurt? <laughs> and but I I enjoyed it. So if you want a good popcorn movie, that's I didn't I'd recommend it. Okay. Uh, so moving on. So got a little bit of Star Wars news with Mark Hamill because Mark Hamill is always the most delightful interview because he just pops off like whatever's he answered. This he is has what no love, filter anymore. Yeah. And this is what I love about Mark Hamill is he really is a fanboy, And so he he knows the people that that I don't know. I think he just intuitively says stuff that fanboys want to hear his thoughts on because like he understands that and so he answers questions honestly and and completely but um somebody asked him if uh like what order if if you're introducing your eight-year-old to star wars now what order do you watch the movies in interesting yeah and so he was like well i think you do it in chronological order right like you, you go episode one two three Rogue One, four, five, six, seven, eight. And then he stops and he's like, that could be really jarring because of the technology. He's like, you know, I don't know. I suppose it depends on the individual, which I thought was like a well thought out good answer. Um, I don't even know how I would do it now. Like I, I can say with my eight year old, uh, when I started introducing her to Star Wars, I started with the original trilogy and, uh, having a really hard time getting her on board with that like a really hard time and then the fuck was that (laughs) 
Okay. <laughs> Just having a teenager like yelling random things. <laughs> anyway, um, so, uh, so I tried to introduce her to the original trilogy. I think we went through Star Wars, maybe a little bit Empire Strikes Back, and she just like checked out. And I was really bummed out because I was trying to get her into Star Wars before Force Awakens came out. And we had gotten the Star Wars Infinity, and she got into that, and she really liked playing the um, the Padawan character on it. Um, God, her name is Ash- Ashuku, I think yeah. her name is. And I was just like, I have no idea what this character is, but whatever. And then, like, I saw, like, the Clone Wars animated movie on Netflix. And so we watched that, and she was really into that. And because it also had the characters she played on the video game. So then we started watching Clone Wars, which we're still doing slowly, but surely. We're, like, watching Clone Wars, which are, like, pretty good. Like, I enjoy them. They really captured the the characters without like getting bogged down by space C-SPAN. Right. Which I really appreciate. But, um, so that got her in. And then once she was in, we watched episode four, five, and six. And then we watched episode seven and she was just like fucking full bore in after that. You know, we watched Rogue One. She loved that. We watched Last Jedi. She loved that. Um, after we saw Force Awakens, she really wanted to watch the prequels because there's other three. And like, I didn't even sigh or anything. I'm like, she wants to watch them, so we're gonna watch them. Like, I'm gonna feed this like Star Wars love. So like, we started to watch Phantom Menace, dude. She couldn't even make it through like 20 minutes, <laughs> and I was just like, kind of relieved. So I basically just gave her the cliff notes of what happened. <laughs> <laughs> So like, yes, I'll never have to watch them again. I have resolved to watch them again at some point just because I want to watch them with like all this perspective. And I've been noticing an argument I've been making with some other people lately is that I think when you pull out some of the stories of the prequels, the stories are really good. It's the execution that's piss poor. Yeah. And I would totally agree with that sentiment. Like. There is elements of that that are pretty good, and but especially like the storyline. But like visually, it's it's tough for me to watch. Yeah, and it which is weird because that was the only good thing about it when they came out was that like visually it was really cool. But then like you get some distance from it, and it's like, oh, these special effects suck. <laughs> Because they, they were very so cutting edge at the time. The- so then it's like, what the fuck do I even want to watch these for? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I do kind of want to watch them again. I, if for nothing else, just to like not have this blind spot. Because I'm talking with millennials more and more who really like the prequels. And uh, they have this love for them that I recognize. It was the same love I had for the original trilogy and had to really like still have a hard time explaining to older people sometimes who just never got into Star Wars, you know, and I recognize it's the same sort of disconnect. So I want to rewatch them. So at least I like remember the reference points better. But um, yeah, it's funny because like, I don't want to just shit all over the prequels and be like, only the original trilogy was good and the new ones or whatever. Like, there's good things out of those. And I remember there being some good things. It's just like the execution of the overall movies was pretty bad. Yeah. Because um, I, one thing I remember, like, with my dad, he really loved the original trilogy. Yeah, my parents too. Um, And I remember, like, 
watching four, five, and six with him pretty regularly. And then I remember going to the movie theater and watching uh, Phantom Menace when it came out and him enjoying that. And I don't think he had seen uh, two and three clones and uh, Revenge of the Sith. So how much did he really enjoy the first one? <laughs> and, well, I I know he saw, and he doesn't go see um, movies in theaters very often. Uh-huh. Um, but I know he saw Phantom Menace probably twice at least. Because I remember he went with me, and then he went with my brother. <clears throat> but that was when, you know, it's been so long since there had been a Star Wars movie that... Oh, fuck. Yeah, Star, Star Wars. Yeah. Like, and I know people talk about the distance between the prequels and... uh Force Awakens, so let's see. It was every three years for a movie, right? So, 02, 05. So, 05 was, like, the last prequel. So, we went, I believe, 11 years without a Star Wars movie. But before that, between Jedi and Phantom Menace, it was 16 years. Yeah. Man. That's five extra long years. And I guess that's not completely accurate because there is the Clone Wars animated movie. But my parents are going to watch that. No, no. (laughs) Most people didn't even know that hit theaters. Who have seen it even didn't know it hit theaters. And I I ended up buying him Force Awakens for Father's Day or something. And I think he sat on it for six months or... And he watched it. I was like, this is pretty good. Yeah. So the uh, apparently the prequels had left a bit of a bad taste in his mouth too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, um something else Mark Hamill said. So this is the juicier thing. Uh He was saying I happen to know that George didn't kill Luke until the end of 9. So he's talking about George Lucas's treatment that he had for um the, the new trilogy before he sold it to Disney. Uh, uh, so he didn't kill Luke until nine after he trained Leia, which is another thread that was never played upon. Uh, also, George had an overall arc. If he didn't have all the details, he sort of had an overall feel for where the sequel trilogy was going. But this one's more of a relay race. You run and hand the torch off to the next guy. He picks it up and goes, Ryan didn't write what happens in 9. He was going to hand it off to originally Colin Trevorrow and now JJ. It's an ever-evolving, living, breathing thing. Whoever's on board gets to play with the life-size action figures that we all are. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so it was like it was a really good I, I like that because he gives insight into what George was doing but then also noted what Disney's doing and he didn't say any of it negatively either like it no I, I don't know get that, that can read that. different ways but um he was basically he was basically just sort of noting what was happening in the franchise which I appreciate but I love that nugget that like Luke was training Leia and the trilogy now I don't want to see those movies that George Lucas was going to make because we saw what he did with the prequels. And I do think he's kind of lost it as a director, but he's always been a good idea guy. And I would really like to read his like treatment for what the, the trilogy was going to be. If he ever wrote it down, I hope that hits the light of day at some point. It would just be fun to explore 
Of course, that'll immediately turn into the internet being like, this should have been a thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because there's got to be somebody outraged about something at every point. But yeah. Uh, yeah. So anyway, that that was some Star Wars news there. Um, so do you want to talk about some Captain Marvel? Captain Marvel? Yeah. So they casted two actors reprising their roles for the MCU. So they got Clark Gregg is going to reprise his role as Agent Coulson, which is great, dude. I'm so glad we got Agent Coulson going back into a Marvel movie. Yeah, I fell off with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but I still want to see him. Just, I like Clark Gregg. Yeah, me too. So I wonder if they're going to de-age him or if they're just going to be like, man, it's fine. It takes place in the 90s. So how early in the 90s, you know? It's like 20 years. Maybe they can get away with just filling in some hair or something, you know? Hopefully they don't do too much. Yeah. Um, The other thing is they have Lee Pace will be reprising Ronan from the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. So he was the one that had the Infinity Stone. He's the big bad in Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. So he's in it because we do know that the scrolls are the major villain or supposed to be the major villains in in the Captain Marvel movies. So scrolls are these creatures that basically can imitate anybody. And so that's what led to the Civil War. Uh, was it? No, I guess that was after. Never mind. But um, yeah, the scrolls can basically just take over like anybody's appearance and appear exactly as a person. And then they have super scrolls who have the powers of the heroes, but like it's kind of wonky. They're not great at using them. So like we've seen like Fantastic Four scrolls, but like they're really shitty at being the Fantastic Four because they're scrolls and they're not the Fantastic Four. Um, but they got the infighting down. <laughs> so the scrolls are the the sworn enemy of the Kree, who that's what um uh Ronan is so yeah so apparently we're gonna get some some scroll Cree fighting I think in this so this this makes sense to me like yes it's definitely gonna be a cosmic thing if you have like scrolls and Cree in this movie fuck yeah. yeah it's gonna be a lot of space adventures so I'm all for that if you have a space hero have them in space for fuck's sake Green Lantern I can't let that go so on my trip to Billings, uh, the other night we were like just worn out from walking all day. We went to the zoo and did a couple different things. We we're just tired, so we're sitting in the hotel room watching TV. And so we flipped on uh, AMC, and they had a wonderful back-to-back pairing. First was Green Lantern. Oh no. <laughs> Followed by the original, not the original Fantastic Four. The original, actually. The Chris Evans Fantastic Four. (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) That's a rough pairing. Yeah. But the next night, I washed it down with uh, Captain America First Avengers. Nice. That's such a great movie, dude. You know what my favorite scene in that movie is? Which one? <laughs> I was waiting to see if you had a guess. Uh, I love the scene where they're they're at the boot camp and Tommy Lee Jones and the other guy are arguing about whether uh, 
Cat or whether Rogers. Steve Rogers is the one for the the Super Soldier program, and then Tommy Lee Jones just cavalierly like throws out that dummy grenade and goes live grenade and like throws it out, and Steve Rogers like leaps Jumps on it, on it yeah, yeah, and he's like get away, get away. And, like, that's when Tommy Lee Jones realizes this is a guy. But, like, I love that. It just says He's so much. He's still skinny. Yeah. But <laughs> it says so much about, like, Steve Rogers' character. Yeah. Like, those are the the moments that I love the most. In yeah, the that was a really movies. good scene. I, I remember remembering that. Um, and it's been a while since I had seen the first event. The other thing that really struck out or stuck out to me was the v- pretty early on when uh, uh, Howard Stark is like pre- presenting the hover car mm-hmm. at the convention, which they call back to in Iron Man three, three Iron Man three was the one after Captain America, I think. Yeah. Cause Captain America, or I mean, Iron Man two, He's like holding something up with Captain America's shield, like Tony Stark is. He's using the shield to hold something up. And it's just like a joke, but they haven't done Captain America yet. So I'm pretty sure part three would have been the one yeah, following. But it was like set at the uh, same theme park where they had like the the world, the Iron World globe in the middle mm-hmm. and like the whole theme park that like turns out to be a model for an atom. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> the world of tomorrow. Yeah. I thought it was uh but it was like interesting like for kind of forgetting that but then seeing it again you're like, "Oh, this makes sense." I think I'm going to do a run through of every MCU movie before I watch Infinity War. I think this Boy, is going to happen. Of- it's a lot, man. <laughs> it's a lot. How many movies are there now? Let me find out really quick. We got 10 years of movies. How many? Oh, sorry. Got uh. Right. Okay, Google. <laughs> it got everything you said. Hold on. How many Marvel Cinematic Universe movies are there? Okay, let's see. There are. Oh God, damn it! Doesn't like it gives a list, but it doesn't say right off the gate. They have produced 18 films with 14 more in production. So 18 movies to watch. Fuck yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's going to be a lot of movie going. But I'm ready for it, man. Some of them I haven't watched for a while. Like Thor Dark World. I only saw it in the theater. I've never seen it since then. So I'm kind of interested to see it again, especially like looking backwards, you know, I know some of them aren't going to hold up super great, but like the incredible Hulk, there's things that like, I enjoy, I watched I that not too. too long ago and I enjoyed watching that one. Yeah. And I think I'll enjoy all of them, but I'm just kind of curious, like watching them going forward, how much stuff was like revisited that I'll be like, oh yeah, you know, and like, maybe I didn't make the connection at the time. Because it's been like 10 movies in between or whatever. God. <laughs> yeah, when you like think about it, because it's, it's been 10 years since yeah. I started this project. It feels like longer, though. I mean, it feels like we've been doing Marvel movies forever. God. But forever. Forever. Forever, <laughs> ever? Forever. 
All right. Well, let's move on. Um, so a little more Marvel news. Uh, so did you hear about Donald Glover falling out with uh, Marvel over the Deadpool the cartoon? The Deadpool cartoon. Yeah. So uh, him and FX were taken off of the animated series that they're developing for Deadpool. Uh, Donald Glover wrote a 15-page script that was posted the next day and had clearly been written the day before. Like, he dropped all sorts of references to know it was right before because they said one of the things was they had all these excuses like Marvel. So this is one of the TV divisions where it's run by the guy who used to run the MCU. And Zach was actually talking about this guy with a lot of venom because he was talking about how he was like really pissing off a lot of the the big actors at MCU because he like had them on these small contracts and was making sure that they stayed on these small contracts. And he would do things like count the amount of paper clips, like literally count how many paper clips were used in an office and make sure that they weren't using more than X amount. Like he's just oh, a penny pitcher with everything. And so he got completely taken off of the movies when, um, Kevin Feige went to go see Bob Iger, who's the CEO of Disney. And he said, I want this guy away from all the movies because he's like, he alienated Robert Downey Jr. Like he alienated all these people. And like the stories I want to tell are going to involve a lot of these guys and they're going to have to be big budget movies. But I think they're going to make such a huge return, but we're not going to be able to do them if this guy is there because he's pissed off everybody. And so they moved him to this other arm where he's dealing with some of the animated stuff. He's dealing with merchandising, things like that. So this guy is who pissed off Donald Glover. But, um, so he wrote this 15 page script for like Deadpool. Like, and one of the things that the guy had said was that, uh, Donald Glover just didn't have time to work on it. Like he's doing too many projects. And so to prove it, he had all these references from the day before to wrote the script and it's coded. It's very much coded with like a lot of very inside Hollywood terms that sound like they're about generic things. But like, if you know, like a movie talk, he's talking about very specific things. So he's basically flaming this guy like over and over again. But it also, it had some really great moments in the script too. Where like, th- there's one line where he says, uh, doesn't Marvel have enough good minority shows everyone supports, but doesn't watch. I mean, I think our show would have been funny. I just wanted a place to be honest. And I guess that place is free form. <laughs> <laughs> Because they're picking up, like, the new of, oh, God, whatever it is, a Squirrel Girl and just all of this, like, other Marvel stuff. Like, and Freeform was ABC Family, which is a family channel. Just, is that what it is? Yeah. Oh, yeah, we've been through this on the show so, already. Um, we were trying to figure out what the fuck Freeform was at one so point. So I actually have watched, like, four or five hours of Freeform in the last... Three four days. What were you watching? Well, that's what had Cap or uh, the first Avenger yeah, on it. That, so there you go. It makes and sense why they would have. They it. had like some animated. Uh, I can't remember what it was. They on. have a Spider-Man show on there that um, I think I watched one episode and really liked it and sort of forgot about then, it. So, but I was like, oh, this is kind of interesting. Like, and I had no idea what I was watching, but yeah. Yeah, they're basically another arm of Disney. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, he had all these all these jokes that yeah. were laced in. So I recommend reading the script. But the best way to read it is the Ringer. Like, um, 
the website that Bill Simmons does. Um, they have an, an, and note, I don't know how to say this, annotated, annotated, annotated. Yes. An annotated script of this. And so like, it's got all 15 pages, but then there'll be parts that are like highlighted in yellow and have a number next to it. And then they'll explain what that means. And like, so it really, some of it I'm like, yeah, yeah, I knew that. But then like, there's other stuff that are like, it's so subtle that if you read through the script, you're like, okay. And you can, when you go back and look at it again, you're like, yeah, that's totally what he's saying. So I think it breaks it down really good, but I recommend looking at that. It's a really interesting look at how this fell apart, but, uh, Donald Glover shots fired at Marvel, man. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently this guy is still pissing off the talent. I don't think Donald Glover's a guy you want to piss off. Like, you know, he was just got some talent. Yeah. And he's like, Killing it all over the place. Dude, he's winning awards for Atlanta. Like, He's going to be in the next Star Wars movie. Yeah. He was just in Spider-Man Homecoming and like a part that like for everybody who knew the story about Donald Glover with Spider-Man, like that was a big deal having him in that part, you know? It was real. It like it was a funny part anyway, but then it was just, I don't know. Did, do you know the story about Donald Glover with Spider-Man? I know he was in talks for like, as casting as Spider-Man. Not quite, but I, I'll break it down for you. Um, so basically what it was, was the, this internet campaign started out of nowhere when they were doing the amazing Spider-Man, when they were casting for him, they eventually went with Andrew Garfield. They were some people started an internet campaign that said Donald Glover should be Spider-Man. And like Donald Glover sort of saw it and thought it was kind of amused by it. But then he started to get irritated and he was like, yeah, why can't I be Spider-Man? Like I'm from Queens, (laughs) you know, like most people from Queens are black. And so he, he did a bit about it in a standup and then it really blew up with all these people are like, why can't you have a black Spider-Man? So then this is where like, it takes another turn. So then Brian Michael Bendis, who's, really great writer and did a bunch of stuff for Marvel still does on occasion. He wrote the civil war comic and all this stuff. He was like, yeah, why can't Donald Glover be Spider-Man? So he convinced the people at the ultimate comics where he did the best run of Spider-Man, like the ultimate Spider-Man is like the best run of Spider-Man, like period. I I won't have any other answers. (laughs) I've read them all. This is the best. And, um, he killed off Peter Parker And then he brought in Miles Morales and Miles Morales. The whole idea behind Miles Morales was like, why can't there be a black Spider-Man like Donald Glover? Like that's fucked up. We live in a world where like you can like make up superheroes, but you have to throw black in their name to just to make people comfortable knowing what they're getting into or whatever. But he's a black man. Yeah. And Brian Michael Bendis like is in a biracial relationship and he's like, I would like to have, a you know a major superhero that my kid could look at and be like yeah that's like me and so he wrote miles morales which is like has been huge as, as you know so donald glover because he was the inspiration they brought him in and he voiced miles morales on the spectacular spider-man cartoon so it followed peter parker but it had miles morales in a bunch of episodes playing you know playing the other spider-man and so like, so he did that. And then in Spider-Man Homecoming, he's only in there because of that. You know what I mean? Like, it's totally this little section of people that know that story. So when you see Donald Glover, there's like another level to that scene. 
You know, where he's like, dude, you got to get better at your job. Well, he's in two scenes. <laughs> Is he in two? Yeah, I guess yeah, he's, he's like a- delivering guns. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, like that that whole thing was brought off of the history of it. So it's like, I don't know. Marvel really shot themselves in the foot on this one. You should just fire that guy. Get somebody else. Yeah, fuck that guy. Yeah, because Donald Glover is a shit. Uh, you had some stuff on Hunter you wanted to talk about? So, uh, the Hunter S. Thompson Facebook uh, posted a letter from February 9th, 1968. Okay. To Hunter Acosta, or Oscar Acosta. Oh, I didn't get to see that documentary either. No, and I didn't either. Yeah. But this is from Hunter S. Thompson, Woody Creek. Dear Oscar, my knee is ripped, my crotch is broken. I hurt all over, and about two hours from now, I have to go out to the fucking airport and wait around on standby for a crucial flight to Denver and NYC and then to New Hampshire for a week with Nixon. On to the Johnson-Nixon campaign. The only problem is that it has come out before either party hold a convention. A hideous fantasy. Life in here is a zoo of false promise and impossible promises. I have the campaign book to deliver by April 1st, the run diary by July 1st, and the massive Joint Chiefs thing by July 1st of 69. So gone are the freaking lazy days of 1967, This is the year of the monkey, which means work. In terms of your political action, I might be checking with you this summer about writing something about, quote, brown power, or whatever term is stylish at the time. I no longer plan to work on random articles, but my research on the Joint Chiefs book will take me into a lot of things I can write about and publish as side effects of the book, and your gig may be one of them. We'll see, but in case, I'll probably be in L.A. this spring and looking for a short dog or two about the novel. If the idea of writing anything, quote, book length on the BP theme interests you, let me know and I'll try to interest somebody. Your problem is here that your club hand is dialogue, which used to mean fiction, But if you can teach yourself to use dialogue to tell a topical, non-fiction story, you'll sell it. I guarantee that. But if only if you let that goddamn mercenary instinct of yours out of your narrative. Let the people tell their own stories. They may surprise you. Hunter S. Thompson. Yeah, I've actually read that letter. Uh, I have a book of his collected letters. That uh, what was really notable about it was he published it when he was still alive. Um, that doesn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> they always do that like after they die. They either collect them or the author like has them collected, and then after they pass, they they put out the book because a lot of the time there's like personal stuff, and they're like, eh. but I'm pretty sure I read like he's got a few letters to Oscar. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I, I think I've read that before, but. I just thought it was interesting when, you know, with that PBS special coming out and then this basically being the 50-year anniversary of that letter. 
Uh, there's something else <laughs> I want to cover next week. It depends on whether I can get to it or not. But there's a documentary on HBO that's two parts, and I guess it's about four hours long. But it's on uh, Gary Shandling. Like I think it's like the Zen of Gary Shandling or something like that. And so Judd Apatow did a documentary on his uh, Gary Shandling's diaries, and he kept a diary like every day since some point in the late 60s, I think. And so I'm really interested in that because he's like such a touchstone for comedy, not just because a couple like the Gary Shandling show and the Larry Sanders show were pretty groundbreaking for where comedy is now. But he also like reached out to a lot of comedians, especially after the Larry Sanders show and was just helping them like find their voice and kind of with certain things with writing. And so I really want to watch that. And so I'm going to try and, and dig into it next week. But the second part was today, and I didn't think it was something I really wanted to watch with my daughter around. So uh, I wanted to wait till I had both parts to sort of watch it in one chunk. So I'll try to get to that next week. But since we're talking about writings of famous people. So the last thing we had to hit was uh, you had naming movies off a not safe for for uh work Pornhub titles is that right yeah it's a game for you okay so you i'm gonna read off the not safe work Pornhub title and you have to guess the movie okay so we're gonna start off brunette makes money fisting women around after round after round until she can't move old man finishes her off <laughs> A <laughs> million dollar baby. You are correct. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Charlie Conway's mom bangs the hockey coach. I don't know that, so I'm just going to guess Slapshot. The Mighty Ducks. Ah. <laughs> the Charlie Conway didn't uh, stick out to me, so I'm sure Zach, uh, Zach is, is screaming is at me right. wherever he's at. <laughs> All right. Busty Redhead teaches her blonde sister how to not be frigid. Busty Redhead teaches her blonde sister how to not be frigid? Yep. I have no idea. Think frigid. Frozen? (laughs) Frozen. Is it really? (laughs) Okay. Uh man in tight leather beats off clown as two of a, as two of a guy watches. Wait, wait, one more time. Man in tight leather beats off clown as two of a guy watches. As two of a guy watches? Yep. Um dude, I have no idea. <laughs> the Dark Knight. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Where's the two of a guy watching? Two-Face. Oh, okay. All right. Ebony Man has multiple people handle his package and gets fucked in the ass for the first time by a white boy. Um, <laughs> Dude, I have no idea. Pulp Fiction. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, we're definitely earning our not safe for network. 
All right. Redhead pussy screws landlord to get lasagna. Oh, is that Garfield? Garfield the movie. Yeah. All right. Protective father listens to petite daughter to get forcefully taken by multiple men. Multiple men creamed and reamed by protective father. <laughs> taken? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh, it's been so long since I've had this in the queue, so I've, like, forgot half these titles, so I'm just now rereading them, and it's been kind of entertaining. Uh, Horny dude fists tentacle monsters with help from a super hot girlfriend. Hmm. Man, I don't know. This would be Hellboy. Okay. I was trying to think of movies with tentacle monsters and just wasn't coming up with anything that fit the bill. <laughs> One man wrecks dozens of assholes. John Wick? That is John Wick. <laughs> <laughs> that was how it was explained to me. <clears throat> Two super dudes getting rough with each other while a brunette gets pounded by a monster. Superman v. Batman, Dawn of Justice. You are correct. <laughs> Man, that title is lengthy. Sexy detective discovers Hot Milf is hiding more than just a stolen dolphin. Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. Correct. Unwilling man taken advantage by bare left humiliated. Ah, no idea. Oh, Yogi Bear? Man getting raped by a bear. Oh, uh, Super Troopers. The Revenant. Ah. <laughs> That's right. The man was raping the bear in Super Troopers. <laughs> man gives head in a box. <laughs> Seven. <laughs> What's in the box? <sighs> Two eager men find innocent kid alone. Both get banged repeatedly. Wait, one more time? Two eager men find innocent kid alone. Both get banged repeatedly. Home alone. Correct. Yes. Son gets teased by barely legal MILF. <laughs> I don't know where they're going with this. Back to the future. <laughs> All right. Amputee Twink gets wrecked by Big Black Daddy. What? <laughs> I mean, I heard it, but uh, no idea. The Empire Strikes Back. Busty Blonde takes 88 men at the same time and a Japanese schoolgirl. Till Bill. Volume 1. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <sighs> Midget gets ring destroyed by Freak who watches while, while Best Friend watches. The Hobbit. Lord of the Rings. Or, I'm sorry. Yeah, Lord of the Rings. I said the wrong one, but you just have to trust me. It's a fellowship of the rings. 
All right. Wounded soldier finds island full of women and gets taken care of. <coughs> Wonder Woman. Yep. I'm pretty good at this. Watch this bum wreck a rich girl in a car on a sinking ship. No idea. Titanic. Okay. <laughs> I should just come clean and say I still haven't seen Titanic. I haven't either. But <laughs> <laughs> okay. <sighs> All right, I'll skip a couple here. Black man gets balls slammed with furries and creepy dudes. No, don't know. Space Jam. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't seen Space Jam either. I'm not going to say yet because that's never happening. (laughs) Seven angry dudes take a wild bitch in a cabin. Seven angry dudes take a wild bitch in a cavern. In a cabin. Cabin. I don't know. Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. (laughs) Okay. 18-year-old male space pilot joins Mile High Club and penetrates the hole. Um, One more time. 18-year-old male space pilot joins Mile High Club and penetrates the hole. Is it the black hole? Nope. No idea. A New Hope. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Guy gets locked up with a bunch of other men and must must enter the poop pipe to be free. Super Mario Brothers. The Shawshank Redemption. (laughs) (laughs) How many more of these are there? Uh, One more. Okay. Hateful Eight. That's the description as Hateful Eight? Yeah, Hateful Eight. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What? No idea. The Hateful Eight. It is the Hateful Eight. Okay, I was like, it can't just be the Hateful Eight, right? (laughs) (laughs) No. All right, well, that's probably a good place to cut, so take it easy. And respect the outro. No, there'll be no respect. Pay this man his Pay money. Pay that man his money. <laughs>Thank you for listening to the Not Safer Network. Check out one of our many other shows, Charles Orr Horror Show, Geek Lantern's Light, Movies with Wrestlers, Real Roulette, The Alien Movie Project, Montucky Skies, and We Had a Good Life.